How are you all getting on? Welcome to episode six, six, I don't know, six, let's say six, because um, I'm not quite sure and um, they're all kind of blurring into one, really. No, they're not. They're all very different, but I'm just not very good with numbers. So welcome to episode six of A Slice of Pibus. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? Actually, that's a pretty vacuous question, really, isn't it? How are you doing? Because are we all in the same boat having been doing and going and how are we in for the last, exactly the same even, for the last year? So I'm just going to dispense with that question because you're probably just the same. You're probably just sick of this crap, bored of the situation, want to go out and see your pals, want to go out and have a pint in a pub, you know. And if that's not your scene, you probably want to have people over in your house, play board games. You know, what else would you do? Play video games? No, you do that alone anyway. <coughs> Excuse me. The video game people, I think, probably have been thriving in this environment. I'd never actually owned a PlayStation or a game box in any way, shape, or form. Ting, sorry, I'm just having a cup of tea. Oh, I've also decided I'm not going to do as much editing as I have been doing because, honestly, I hate it. And um, I'm doing this kind of for my own enjoyment as well as yours. So... I don't really see much point in me not enjoying, you know, spending six or seven hours editing for, um, yeah, and you know, I, I did it, I did it for the first five, and uh, I've learned how to do it, and I still need to do a bit of editing, you know, I learned how to put the music in thing, and learned how to, um, you know, put the sound underneath the music. Uh, sorry, the sound of my voice underneath the music. And I'd just be spending hours taking out the ums and the ems. So I'm just going to try and do it less. Have less pauses. Take little short breaks when I'm thinking and such like that. But just actually progressing um, through the podcast. So I suppose, yeah. So that's... Oh, I've also decided not to put myself in my bedroom cramped up against the wall covered by two duvets and surrounding by 15 pillows and an Aladdin's cave type situation because it's awfully uncomfortable and terribly hot so I'm just kind of doing this in the, my sitting room with a vague grouping of duvet around a couple of benches which are in front of me which hopefully will absorb some negative sounds but i don't think it will really in all fairness i think it's all hocus pocus unless you have a proper sound studio you can't really prevent any negative sounds coming through so if you hear a dog barking or a police siren go off just close your eyes and pretend you're on holidays in london in east dulwich which is south east technically but south central really so there you go so i was having a wee think and it's a pal of mine's birthday today, Dimitri. He's uh, 20-something. Happy birthday, Dim. And I was thinking, sure, how many people have... Obviously, everyone's had a lockdown birthday, but how many people have two? And I go back to work, as many of you would know, April the 12th, which, because the place that I work at is 90% outdoors anyway... The whole place will pretty much be working as normal and um, it's going to be quite nice to be back at work. It'll be carnage because there's not very many outdoor areas in the area that can house a good number of people. So it's going to be so, so busy. But I think I can take a, 
couple of weeks anyway of busyness before everything begins to calm down a bit. But Dimitri's obviously had two lockdown birthdays. And I was thinking, geez, that's, that's a bit shite now. Because, you know, birthdays, I'm not a big birthday person. I like going out with my pals on my birthday, but I don't really have a huge celebratory aspect to myself, in all fairness. I just like being with my mates on my birthday. The same way that I'd like to be with my mates on their birthday. So, yeah, I think... So, how well, why that is significant is that on May the 18th, which is my birthday, the day before of that, in England anyway, the 17th of May, the pubs open up properly. And sure, won't that be an absolute mad session? <laughs> Genie mech, wouldn't everybody be absolutely going mad? And sure, they're dead right too. I do feel sorry for people working on hospitality, but I hope to God that people are just a little bit nice, don't expect too much off of us, have a bit of crack, and um, that'll be that. But it's funny, especially in England uh, and in, yeah, England mainly, we've got much more temperate climate over here. A lot of stuff's going to be outside anyway, and it'll already have been outside for a month, so that won't be too much of a big change. But it'll be a big deal in Ireland and in Scotland where if you're lucky, you might get two weeks of the summer when the kids go back to school. Because it always is sunny when the kids go back to school. I I feel awfully sorry for the kids in this country, in Britain as a whole. Because, sure, they only have, like, six weeks off. That's desperate, like, desperate. In Ireland, you have three months, two and a half months if you're doing a state exam. And if you're doing a transition year, which is your fourth year in secondary school, you get like three months plus two weeks. Like that's a disgraceful amount of time off. But sure you need it. Because why would you not? What's the point in having teachers have six weeks or eight weeks off in the UK? Sure you can't. That's just that's just not fair. But, you know, it's your fault. <laughs> I don't know. So, um, yeah, going back to work is going to be a bit of a bit of a something different unfortunately yes i suppose the reason why i'm kind of rambling a bit is i don't have a guest today but i'm interviewing a guest tomorrow so they will be probably in your ears by the weekend and then i'll have another person and hopefully i'm going to be able to keep doing two or one podcast a week and i'm sorry i'm very inconsistent i do my best but sometimes i just don't do anything I think it's probably because I spend so much time editing and it's such an arduous process in my head I absolutely loads of props to the people in film and television who essentially get sent tons of these sound bites and ADR recordings which is additional dialogue recordings and the filmed pieces of um you know theater and television really sorry and and films and then just bang them together isn't that just aren't they heroes that they actually create something because they have it for eight months and the 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 director obviously would be involved and the producer and the backroom people i suppose what you'd call them the back of house as such equivalents but the actors and the um runners and the people involved in the actual development of the script to screen part of the process they're just away and then they don't see anything 
for months, sometimes years, and then they'd probably forgotten that of which they had learned and forgotten everything that they put into the character, which is really interesting because when they do all these press tours, Olivia Colman is the best example because I think Cuban, she was on Graham Norton after the release or for the release of Cuban Fury, I think it's called, Nick Frost tango film. And she couldn't remember the name of her character, couldn't remember much about the plot, <laughs> couldn't remember anything. And obviously she's the darling of British film and television. So everyone just thought that was just hilarious and, and quite right too. But, you know, how on earth are you supposed to remember things eight months down the line? But I digress back to my original point. I think maybe I'll be more consistent with my podcasts, if you so would would like to listen because then I won't have to edit them so much because I don't really want to do that. So I think it'll just be more of a running commentary and I'm going to try and make the conversational podcasts a little bit more of a conversation rather than just me asking questions because I'm boring myself. The people on are not boring. They're interesting people that I really enjoy speaking to. But my capacity for attention is really being challenged when I'm editing it because I just bore myself to tears and then I suppose like everybody in the last few months year I've become to second guess myself I second guess my worth that's a big thing to say second guessing my worth but I suppose I do when you produce something or when you make something you there's like this care and there's a a joy that you it should bring you if if there's no joy in what you're doing then you shouldn't be doing it full stop you know that's obviously a big thing to say because a lot of people need to work for there'll be ambulance coming past work for finances and work for you know just to live and they don't really get the chance to pick but if you do have the option and the ability to pick make sure you pick something you're really enjoying for god's sake don't be just carrying on with some job just because it pays the bills like what kind of existence is that if you have that capacity and if you don't you have my sympathy and i wish you all the best but unfortunately i'm not really in a position to help you out because i don't even get any money for this and um, it's just something i like doing anyway so that was a big old ramble there wasn't it so I thought to myself, what am I going to be talking about? And I found this book, which I think is probably one of the greatest discoveries I've ever made. When I lived in Edinburgh, there was a book swap library. I say library was essentially a couple of shelves in the Tesco above which I lived. And, you know, it's pretty simple. You bang your book down that you don't want anymore. Someone picks it up. And the process continues. You know, you bring back the book that you read or you keep it if you like or you put down any books that you didn't have any particular joy in owning. And, um, the, yeah, the process continues. And I picked up this incredible, incredible, incredible piece of literature, literature, literature called Britain's Favourite Recipes. Book two. There was no book one, which is a shame. The Bird's Eye Book of Britain's Favourite Recipes. And honestly, it is, I suppose, 
we can't be too aggressively negative about it because it was written in 1964. So we were only 20 years, 21, no, 19 years after the Second World War. And obviously rationing is probably finished and all that kind of jazz. But there's a lot of that kind of blitz spirit going on, etc., etc. But my God, the food in this, I cannot describe to you how utterly, viscerally disgusting it is. But... Because this is a podcast and you can't see what I'm reading, I will envy to to describe it as best as I possibly could. Envy to? Is that sound right? That, no, that doesn't sound right. But I'll try and describe it anyway. So the writer, his name is um, Ambrose Heath. Brilliant name, honestly. But very 60s. I don't think you're going to get any many Ambroses. Let's say Ambrose Heath. He must have been born in like 1920. Great name, Ambrose. Ambrose. Anyway, what I'll read the author's introduction to you because obviously, you know, you need to know what you're dealing with here. The first volume of Britain's favourite recipes has been devoted in the main to the actual business of cooking. The second one contains a collection of additional recipes which, in the opinion of the compiler, are representative of the most acceptable today in our national cooking. Acceptable really isn't, isn't a word that I would be filled with a huge amount of confidence by to these have been added a number of foreign dishes lovely from france america italy russia hungary scandinavia the near east and india the near east wow that's (laughs) the near east i suppose that's the ussr back then which have already been adopted by our kitchens or are in process of acclimatization oh that's a big word acclimatization acclimatization oh that that's actually much easier cookery is a fluid art and it is continually increasing in scope and interest in the kitchens of every nationality according to whatever opportunities or new methods or ingredients present present themselves as time goes on present themselves not present themselves you clown the main thing is to enjoy them which i hope readers will do well that's a nice sentiment ish anyway so let's let's pick i'm going to just kind of go william nilliam through um the, the the book and just pick out things that i think just sound utterly disgusting um all of these sound rel- relatively okay oh anything anchovy and ham canapes Ooh, that's oh great it's not even proper ham get some thinnest possible slices of cooked ham and butter them carefully butter them carefully using a warm knife you butter your ham ah come on now you buttered the bread but there are no bread there has no there is no bread there are no bread drain some anchovy fillets in oil and roll up each of these strips in a (laughs) of these in a strip of the ham like a cigarette oh god serve cold on fingers of buttered toast that's fucking revolting i'm sorry that's so manky some of the pictures here are absolutely awe-inspiring. There is a charcuterie, a mixed cured meats platter here, and for whatever reason, you know, all of the all of the salami or chorizo or prosciutto. Well, it's not prosciutto. It's like what's that thing that they have in the Sopranos? Gabagool. Gabagool is you know laid out on a platter as normally, but sliced up into halves, which I wouldn't really do, but with with olives 
with the red pepper inside, I don't know what you call them, red eye olives, surrounded by a swirl of anchovies, which just looks fucking horrid. Um, what else have you got? What have, oh God, this is so fucking great. So horrible and so disgusting. Hot liver pate. That's just, that's enough. Hot liver pate. That's not a pate. That is a, that is a terrible, terrible, terrible irony sauce. <laughs> um, mock crab. Oh, a Victorian dish to console those unable at the right moment to get a real crab. Unable at the right moment. Like, do you walk down the street and go, now is the right moment for crab, Jennifer. Let's go and get the crab. What is that? That's a ridiculous sentiment. Half a pound of very finely shredded cooked cod. Oh. <laughs> a quarter pint of white vinegar flavoured with anchovy essence. Two tablespoons made mustard. Two tablespoons made mustard. Why don't you just say two tablespoons of mustard? Two tablespoonfuls made mustard. One tablespoonful salad oil. That does not exist anymore. Two tablespoons grated cheese. Obviously any old cheese will bloody do. And green salad mayonnaise sauce. Mayonnaise that are done there just absolutely fine on its own. Flake up the fish finely with two forks so as to reassemble, to reassemble, resemble crab flesh. Sorry, I am a bit dyslexic. The words that come out of my mouth are what are what is written on the paper, but they may look completely different in my head. So bear with me, but I'm, I'm also really enjoying this. I think this is hilarious. Flake up the fish finely with two forks as to resemble crab flesh. Put into a bowl and season with salt and white pepper. White pepper, in all fairness, I think white pepper's great. It really is quite tasty, but it shouldn't be used in the place of black pepper. It's a different peppercorn, but white pepper has its place in the world. However, the way that they're using it here, it should be banned. Now, in a separate basin, mix well together the vinegar, mustard and salad oil, and when well amalgamated, moisten the fish with it. Lastly, sprinkle the grated cheese over it. Parmesan cheese is best here. Thank you, God, for the specificity. And toss the mixture together. Heap up in a bed of lettuce and handsome mayonnaise sauce with it. Like, in all goddamn fairness, would you ever not just... Why would you just pretend this is something else that it isn't? You don't go like, Oh, I bought the mock Harry Potter book here, and it's just the Harry Potter cover with the Bible in it. Come on, it's, uh, well, you know, they're both kind of mythical stories, so I can see the, 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 the slight semblance. And I don't mean to take the piss out of religion, but it, the, Bible is, the Bible is full of stories, regardless of whether you think they're true or not. They're stories. Anyway, let's go for another crap one. Oh, jelly deals. Actually, I won't say anything about jelly deals, because I live in London, and I feel like jelly deals are kind of part and parcel of the culture. Oh, mm, num, num. Oh, we have a fantastic picture here of lobster mornay which is it's it's imagine a huge 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 soup spoon with no handle apart from maybe a tiny little bit at the top and then it's got two lobsters which have what can only be described as lobsters cut in half so they're missing the claws and they're cut in half and their flesh side is open in a uh, on either side of this soup, enormous soup spoon and they look like a love heart which is kind of cute 
But what seems to be appalling is what is on top of them, which looks kind of like a mixture of mayonnaise and mac and cheese, which has been set alight and burned in places. So that's disgusting. Uh, oh, but it's, it's actually cheese. But it does look like mayonnaise. It looks horrid. Anyway, what else have we got here? Um, oh, this is excellent. You've got this. Oh, salmon in aspic. Oh, aspic. If you don't know what aspic is, it's jelly for Satan. <laughs> it's jelly, which they used back in the day as a kind of... It held everything together. It's yeah, like normal jelly, but it's, it's a savoury jelly. It's honestly vile looking. Um, salmon in aspic. Devotees of this noble dish, not, are often divided in opinion as to whether the fish should be cooked, as I myself contend, that's what the man has written, in plain salt and water. What the hell is plain salt? Do you mean salt? What, what would you have? Chilli salt? Oh, actually, that's a legit thing. You could have chilli salt. Plain salt. Right. I'll, I'll take that out. And water or in what the French call a court bouillon. Or bouillon. I don't speak French, I speak Spanish. There is something to be said for the latter if the fish is to be eaten cold, as it will have gained extra flavour by being left in the cooking liquor, liquor while it cools. But all things being equal, the times for boiling it are those given on page 29 of volume 1. Well, we'll never know, will we, because I don't have volume 1. The salmon shown in the illustration on page 161, of which I am on page 161, because in an interesting decision, they decided to go for the page numbers weren't one to whatever number in this book. It's just a complete continuation. So the first page in this book is page 139. Unusual decision. But the picture here we have of the salmon is imagine a complete whole salmon, right? Then... The head is still there, the tail is still there, and what's happened after the neck of the salmon, all the skin and the, um, the internal organs are taken away, and you've got just the plain poached looking salmon, horrible kind of clammy pink colour, looks like, you know, a person who's been on the sesh for seven or eight days in a row, and it's that kind of weak, jellied face appearance that they have and that's how the salmon looks and where the salmon's backbone should have should be uh, or where the salmon's backbone would be vis visible from are loads of cooked prawns just just put one after the other lying in a line looking at each other's arses on top of the fish and then inserted into the belly of the fish you have alternating black and green olives also, it's all on a, on a bed of thinly sliced cucumber. It is utterly repulsive. Also, for whatever reason, they've put a sprig of... I don't know. What is that? It's on the very top of the, of the salmon's head, like it was some sort of cockerel or something. They've put a, a bunch of, of, of kale, maybe? Maybe it's kale? Parsley? Probably parsley. Just like, you know, just in case it needs some sort of unusual hat jesus that's disgusting all right should i continue on about this thing no i can't it's too disgusting oh salmon mousse oh this also looks absolutely disgusting so you know salmon mousse in its essence is essentially smoked salmon or hot smoked salmon blitzed 
in a whizzer with creme fraiche or no not well you could put creme fraiche cream cheese sorry and that's basically it you could put in different flavorings if you want or you know you can put mayonnaise in a little but it's essentially those two ingredients philadelphia would work fine because it's probably more consistent than your more i don't know your more um delicacy type cream cheeses because you know they can be inconsistent anyway so first line a china souffle mold with aspic jelly so if you don't have a china souffle mold move on move on straight away if it's not china get tip up anyway and when it is set arrange a decoration of cucumber or cooked green peas or peas and a pea-shaped carrot in the bottom why would you do that why on earth this lining is best done with the aspect in a half melted condition and the mold should previously have been well chilled oh like why what i don't know i don't know what it is who, who out there actually likes jelly does anyone like jelly like jelly i despise jelly fundamentally i despise jelly and ricky gervais at the same level and there's very few things that i despise more than ricky gervais jelly is just like flavored wobble Fl yeah flavored wobble and and it's just when you look at it it's just like it's just the way it's the way that you move and it's the way that it moves and i'm not drawing any comparisons with a uh, jelly with anything else in our world but jelly is fundamentally it's like when you know you're a baby jelly's a big thing same as jam kids love jam jam is mentioned far far too often when you're below six years old and then around six years old seven years old jam stops becoming an issue jam is just a null and void same as when you like i think i've stolen this off a comedian and this isn't my own original material but you know you'd expect a xylophone to be such a big part of your life the amount that it's mentioned when you're learning the alphabet but honestly i think i've seen a xylophone once and i was in an orchestra i used to play the trumpet i don't anymore though anyway so yeah that's 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 the aspect part of the salmon mousse and then i i ugh. meanwhile you will have made the mousse by reducing some cooked salmon flesh to a puree by sieving or other mechanical means what what else what 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 else are you gonna do? You're just gonna punch it through through a, a fence, and to this you must add white sauce made with fish stock, Ugh. half whipped double cream. That's just lazy. And aspic jelly in the proportions of a quarter of a pint of the sauce, the same of the cream, and a couple of good tablespoons of aspic jelly to each pound of the salmon puree. This is fucking brutal taste for seasoning it's not been seasoned or anything what do you mean taste for season maybe you say season first and then taste which should be very delicate and if you think it looks a bit pallid stir in a drop or two of carmine coloring oh my god would you not put in like if it looks like i don't know a a, a newborn baby in in terms of color a newborn white baby that should be uh, a newborn white belly baby white belly white baby in terms of color don't 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 put in food coloring just put in like paprika or or sriracha sauce or fucking ketchup jesus 
when well set and chilled, turn out so that the cucumber or green pea garnish or any other decoration for prettiness you might have thought of is shown at the top. This is, this, the 60s were a fucking weird time, you know? What else happened in 1964? Let me have a quick Google here. I'm not even going to edit this, so you're going to hear me Googling, you know, deal with it. 1964. I feel like they went to the moon in 1964, or at least within those couple of months. 1964. 1964. What happened there? There was an Olympics. Um, cool. Uh, half Yeah, it was Tokyo Olympics. Oh, the uh, uh, the Beatles took America by storm, and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was signed into law. Well, that's great. Anything happen in um, in England and the rest of the British Isles? Oh, the Channel Tunnel started. Well, I didn't think it was that late or early. I didn't think it was that early. That yes, early. Not yeah, yeah. There you go. Nineteen sixty four. Um. Not yeah. Just pretty much misery, like every other year, I suppose. Right. Back to the horrible recipes. Uh, I'm not going to keep you for too long but I am really enjoying this I think this is absolutely fucking hilarious so if anyone does want to laugh please get the bird's eye book of Britain's favourite recipes um, let's have a look Laura let's have a look let's go eeny meeny miny oh kidneys oh there's like seven different kidney options here grilled pig's trotters mm, nom 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 um, <laughs> what is it? pizza wow I didn't think that they would actually do something that interesting tomato jelly brilliant why on earth spinach pancake which essentially looks like a kind of boiled crepe but in a lasagna style in terms of the spinach filling so i'm looking at one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven layers of crepes and between each crepe la layer there is what can only be described as a pesto but it's definitely not a pesto it is just minced spinach maybe it's cooked but you know judging on what i've read already definitely not cooked uh oh there was an amazing one i want to find it it was um it was a flan but it was but it was a savory flan where's that savory flan that's not a, it's not a term you hear often a savory flan is it um savory flan savory flan does whatever a savoury flan does. Ah, yes, I found it. It is, of course, the famous cold sweetbread flan. Oh, my God. So sweetbreads, if you don't know, are essentially uh, in um, your, uh, your worst bloody tasting pieces of meat, which would be, you know, liver, kid. No, not liver, actually. That'd be tastier. And I don't like liver at all. Um, pancreas you know that kind of shit really nasty pieces of organs this dish known in professional cookery as redevot à la soudoie is as pleasant a presentation of cold calf sweetbreads as you can find oh well that's a relief it's the tastiest of all the mankiest things to eat blanch and poach the sweetbreads oh okay let's let's just Let's just stop there. Blanch and poach them. So if you don't know what blanching is, it's essentially just putting it into boiling water for a very short time, 
and the water's like super hot and essentially it stops the enzymes of whatever you're blanching from changing the color or changing the meat in any way or uh, the vegetables in any way and then you poach it it's i don't really know what a big maybe that's a chef kind of question what the big difference is because to me when you blanch something you put it in for a very short period of time and then you take it out but then poaching is putting it back in hot water maybe the water isn't as hot presumably the water is not as hot maybe it's like a rolling boil versus like a a vicious boil but essentially so you double boil this bloody sweetbreads without coloring them oh that's good that we're not using any more artificial color and when they are quite cold cut them into thin slices all the same size cut also some thin slices of cooked tongue the same shape and size oh this only gets better <laughs> yum spread each slice of sweet bread lightly lightly with horseradish butter creamed butter mixed with grated horseradish to taste this is honestly possibly the greatest thing i've ever ever read and cover with a piece of tongue lovely this is like a cannibal's cookbook arrange these overlapping in a pastry flan case first cooked blind which is you know blind baking it's not like you cover your eyes and then lined with a cooked vegetable salad bound with mayonnaise sauce bound bound what a good word there bound with mayonnaise sauce i wonder how soon mayonnaise had been invented prior to this book's publication because i thought mayonnaise has always been around but i suppose the pro production of mayonnaise is kind of a little bit complicated in terms of putting the oil in it has to be a steady stream but it has to you know and you have to keep it all going but i don't think it must have been around before this for a while regardless mayonnaise sauce just say mayonnaise and place in the middle of a small lettuce heart with the leaves opened out slightly more mayonnaise may be handled separately but there should be enough in the salad served slightly chilled not chilled enough in my opinion now this is oh pork with prunes quickly follows now look i can't really read anymore because it's it'll get old and it's probably already got old because i was talking about it for 20 minutes but honestly if you feel like i'm being ageist or anything like that feel free to cancel me on twitter because honestly it'll probably have the opposite effect that you're hoping and more people will probably listen to the food podcast if i'm giving out about food from 60 57 years ago 57 years ago yeah 57 years ago so yeah isn't that funny what you can find a little in tesco's in roseburn in edinburgh isn't that great isn't that fun isn't that a little bit of fun anyway so yeah so i think that's basically me today i don't really want to take up any more of your time with my bollocks but what i will do is i will very quickly read some story to you a story to you really because my pal pete he says that he listens to my voice just before he's going to bed which is, you know, what a lovely sentiment. Just so that, you know, he doesn't need to concentrate. Because obviously what I'm take, talking is all bollocks. So this little next bit will be a little short story. I don't have a lot of short stories in my house. Or children's books in my house. Because I'm 28. And I have no children. And it would be weird if I did have a lot of children's books. But if you have a child in your house. Or an adult in your house or you are an adult or a child 
that needs a little bit of help getting to sleep, the next little segment will be for you. Now, I've moved a bit closer to my microphone so it sounds like I'm in your ear. I can make this, you know what I'll do, I'll make this stereo because I normally just do it mono or maybe I don't even know that procedure yet. I'll, I'll learn that, I'll learn that because apparently stereo is in both ears like as if I'm talking to you in one ear and then the other and mono is just normal and I normally just do it in mono. Look, I'm learning, I'm learning, isn't that great? But I'll just do it in mono now actually. I'm not that confident in what I'm doing at all. Anyway, so what I was going to read to you is a book called The Mole That Knew It Was None Of His Business, I think is the correct title. But unfortunately, I've actually given the book away like an arsehole. And it was a funny book. It was a book about a mole of whom somebody shat on his head and he had a perfect shite on the top of his head. And he went around asking all these other animals who shat on his head. You know, not, um, not for adults, but very much exactly what children like in terms of humour and then the only other children's book well I had two more the only other children's book I had was the tales of Beetle the Bard and as J.K. Rowling is quite transphobic I think is the correct term and today is the 31st of March being International Transgender Day of Visibility Day I'm not going to read that book but I do have one more book and it's a little bit morbid, but it's a little bit funny too. This book is called The Gashly Crumb Tinies by Edward Gorey. Or After the Outing is another name for it. And it was published in 1963. Oh, well, there we are. Aren't we all in the same decade? Decade. A is for Amy, who fell down the stairs. B is for Basil, assaulted by bears. C is for Clara, who wasted away. D is for Desmond, thrown out of a sleigh. E is for Ernest, who choked on a peach. F is for Fanny, sucked dry by a leech. G is for George, smothered under a rug. H is for Hector, done in by a thug. I is for Ida, who drowned in a lake. J is for James, who took lie by mistake. K is for Kate, who was struck with an axe. L is for Leo, who swallowed some tacks. M is for Maud, who was swept out to sea. N is for Neville, who died of ennui. O is for Olive, run through with an awl. P is for Prue, trampled flat in a brawl. Q is for Quentin, who sank in a mire. R is for Rhoda, consumed by a fire. S is for Susan, who perished to fits. T is for Titus, who flew into bits. O is for Una, who slipped down a drain. V is for Victor, squashed under a train. W is for Winnie, embedded in ice. X is for Xerxes, devoured by mice. Y is for Yorick, whose head was knocked in. Z is for Zilla, who drank too much gin. Now, what a lovely morbid ending there for you. <laughs> and I do apologise. The only other children's book that you could call slightly children like I have is The Grim Fairy Tales, which I honestly feel would be completely similar in terms of morbidity to end today's 
show. So, thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you had a little bit of a laugh thinking about the food that our, I wouldn't say ancestors, but our grandparents ate back in the 60s and realised that, honestly, we're awfully very lucky with the food that we can put in our mouths today. So, I hope the rest of your week is prosperous and I hope that you have a lovely weekend with people that mean lots to you. Be good, lots of love, Lawrence.